I want to invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, in just a few moments, we'll begin reading in verse 22. I want you to imagine a real-life scenario. It is a, a beautiful autumn evening. The wedding party gathers together the evening before the big day. This is the day when man and woman will come together, the the groom and the bride will um, be married. Each aspect of this ceremony is carefully reviewed and discussed. There's one or two walkthroughs. And the couple to be married has decided to give the pastor, and I've had this happen several times, they will give the pastor the freedom to to craft the wedding vows. And the time comes during this rehearsal for the groom to practice his wedding vows. And he utters these words as he he stares into the eyes of his bride-to-be. Through the pressures of the present and the uncertainties of the future, I promise to be faithful to you. I promise to love, guide, and protect you as Christ does his church, and as long as we are both alive. According to Ephesians chapter 5, and with his enabling power, I promise to endeavor to show you the same kind of love that Christ showed the church when he died for her. And to love you as part of myself, because in his sight we shall become one. And the groom finished with those beautiful words, and he winked at his bride-to-be, and she smiled in return. And the pastor looked at the bride-to-be and said, Now would you practice your wedding vows? And she uttered these words, I know that many new responsibilities face me. In 1 Corinthians, it explains, It is required of a steward to be found trustworthy. I cannot do this on my own strength, but by God's grace and power working within me, I desire to be trustworthy as your wife by following you and and leading submissively, even as unto Christ. And she stopped. And she looked at her soon-to-be husband. And she looked at her pastor. And she said, I will not say the word submissively. And it became very awkward at that wedding rehearsal. I refuse to say the word submissively. Now, that real life scenario is actually a scenario that I remember vividly. As my mother, who is a a pianist and an organist was at a wedding rehearsal when I was in high school and she came home and recounted the details of this story where the bride-to-be told the pastor and told the husband-to-be, I refuse to utter the word submissively. It's what I like to refer to affectionately as the S word, submissive. You've probably heard it referred to that as well. Why does the, the term submissive carry with it so much baggage? Why do so many people, and by the way, some of those people may be in this sanctuary today. Why is there such negativity associated not just with women, 
but also with men who may feel like he's a a liberated man and he's part of a, a new generation where we're in a new time and a new place. Why the negativity surrounding that word? When I think about the negative feelings that many people, even in the church, have about the term submission, this might surprise you, I think about my Uncle Rod. Now, none of you have ever met my Uncle Rod. He's a wonderful man. But my Uncle Rod, when he was a, just a young man, newly married, he was offered a piece of cheesecake. And I've heard this story, it's kind of a, one of those famous family stories that you gather together and play games and it's like you hear the story every single time you play a game, right? It's a great story. Well, someone offered my Uncle Rod a slice of cheesecake and he said, I don't think so. I don't like cheese in my cake. And so years passed where at family functions or get-togethers with his, his, uh, at his place of employment, the cheesecake would be presented to Uncle Rod and his typical response would be, thanks but no thanks, I don't want cheese in my cake. And so for many years, my Uncle Rod missed out on this world-class, superb, tasty dessert. One day, someone came up to my Uncle Rod and they said, Rod, would you just try one small bite of cheesecake? And you know what he thought to himself? I don't want any cheese in my cake. And so he decided for the first time in his life to graciously try a piece of cheesecake. And so he cut the slice of cheesecake and he lifted it into his mouth and he began to chew. And he realized that he had been deceived for years that in his mouth was the most wonderful unbelievable dessert he'd ever tasted. So he went from hating cheesecake to loving cheesecake. It's his favorite dessert to this very day. Now the message this morning is for everyone, of course. It's for every man and every woman and every boy and every girl. But it will be directed primarily at married women. Many Christian women, I believe, are like my Uncle Rod when it comes to the notion of biblical submission. I'm not interested in that. Yes, I see it's in the Bible. Yes, I might have heard my pastor preach on it once 20 years ago. I understand that it's in there, but I'm not interested in it. Why? They have been given, they've been sold a, a false Bag of goods. They have false ideas about biblical submission. They misunderstand the concept entirely. And as a result, what has happened, and believe me, after 26 years of pastoring churches, I see it again and again and again. They may give lip service to submission, but in the final analysis, there are some Christian women who refuse, simply put, to heed the word of God. If you are numbered among that kind of person, if you say, I don't really care for the idea of biblical submission, 
then this message really is for you. And I want to encourage you to open your heart and open your mind to the truth of the Word of God. And if I can say so tritely, just be like my Uncle Rod and give it a try. When you get a taste of biblical submission, and I'm speaking specifically to women now, you will be blown away. And there's some reasons for that. We want to explore it together. This morning, I'll argue that, biblical, that, that submission is not only biblical, I will also argue that the idea, the truth of submission is also beautiful. If you're a woman who is married, please know that when you, when you hear the Word of God and when you heed the Word of God, when you obey on this matter of biblical submission, what you do is you invite the blessing of God into your life. Now, there is something you need to understand in a very general sense before we dig into Ephesians chapter 5. We need to understand that the, the notion, the reality of submission applies to every man. It applies to every woman. It, apply, it applies to every child today. It applies to every pastor, including myself. It applies to every missionary. It applies to every Christian worker. And indeed, it applies to every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. John MacArthur has stated succinctly that every obedient, spirit-filled Christian is a submitting Christian. Every pastor, every missionary, every elder, every deacon, every husband, every wife, every child is a submitting Christian. Simply put, we are all under authority. And as we move forward in the book of Ephesians together, we will see how the Apostle Paul draws our attention to some very specific roles. We will see in verses 22 to 24 of chapter 5, the role of the wife. Next week we will see in Ephesians 5, 25 to 33, the role of the husband. When I get back from vacation, we will turn our attention to children and look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And then finally, in Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9, we'll look at employers and employees. And I want, what I want you to see about this diagram is that each role, whether it's a wife or a husband or, or a child or an employer or an employee, we are all under authority. There is always someone that you and I are going to submit to. Now, the first role that Paul addresses is probably the most controversial. But in my mind, even though sometimes I shudder to preach a passage like this, it's really not controversial at all. Why? Because, again, we have been deceived by the culture. We have been duped by the prophets of post-modernity. I believe the, the while some good may have come out of it, the, the women's rights movement that we saw emerge in the 70s is one of the meanest tricks that was ever played on women in America. Why? Because for the most part, it stands against a biblical worldview. For the most part, it stands against faithfulness to the Word of God. And so we see the responsibility of wives set forth in plain in unambiguous terms, and it's, it's set forth for us in Ephesians chapter 5. Would you stand with me as we read verses 22 to 24? And may I remind you, this is the Word of God, the infallible, inerrant, authoritative Word of God. Verse 22, wives, submit 
to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Now, Father, as we have our Bibles open before us, we are faced with a passage that is very countercultural to many people. It is even counterintuitive, but we see a very important command here. It's a command that, that we are called to heed, and so may we heed it, may we pay careful attention to it. I pray today, God, especially for Christian wives, that today they would not leave discouraged or frustrated or angry. Rather, they would leave empowered that they would leave bolstered, that they would leave encouraged, that they would see things in the Word of God that perhaps they've overlooked or never seen before. And so would you encourage them, God? I pray that you'd also encourage husbands. God, if there are ways that uh, the men at Christ Fellowship could step up to lead, I pray that through the back door that you would minister to those men through this passage, even as we prepare for the passage next week that's focused on them in a very pointed way. And so, Lord, would you bless our time together? Would you give me the ability to, to speak clearly and humbly and decisively and biblically so that the people of God will be fed and equipped ready to enter the marketplace of ideas with great resolve, all for the glory of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, the title of the message you probably heard in my prayer is A Countercultural Command. And indeed, this is not only a countercultural command, this is a counterintuitive command because we have been sold a bill of goods by contemporary culture. Submission, you need to understand, is at the very heart of divine order, God's divine order. Now, this is a message you will probably not hear in some churches. Dare I say, this is a message you may not hear in many churches all across the landscape of the United States of America. But please remember that as we talk about submission, it is at the very heart of God's purposes for his people. And so Paul links the imperative, if you look with me in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and the imperative I have in mind is the imperative we looked at last week in great detail. It's the imperative, it's the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that? Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but, here's the command, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what Paul does is he links that command with joyful obedience. Now, the words joyful obedience are not in verses 19 through 21, but that's exactly what's happening here. He links the command to be filled with the Spirit with joyful obedience, which involves addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as Paul says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he links it with biblical submission. Look at it in verse 21. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, some, and there may be a few here this morning who are familiar with this very important debate, some have labeled verse 21 as mutual submission. 
If you read it again, you can see where they get this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what the modern egalitarian does... By the way, the egalitarian is the person who believes that there are no role distinctions between a man and a woman. This is, this is an ungodly, unbiblical worldview. But the egalitarian says something like this. Because verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that means not only does the wife submit to the husband, but the husband submits to the wife. You see where they would come up with that. And I want to argue and, and kind of show my cards right at the beginning of the message and say that is not what the Scripture says in any way, shape, or form. Rather, Ephesians 5.21 sets the table, if you will. It sets the table for the four roles that we just briefly discussed, wives, husbands, uh, children, and employers and employees. It sets the table for these roles that we will look at over the next month or so. And so I want to guide you on a journey where you will come to literally treasure the idea of biblical submission. And I not only pray that, that the women, married or unmarried, would treasure this, this very important reality, but every person here would treasure the biblical reality of submission. Look at several things. Number one. The biblical meaning of submission. We want to cut through all of the cultural fog and ask, what does it truly mean to submit? First, some background. We need to understand this morning that both men and women and boys and girls are, are equal persons before God. That is to say, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl is created in the image of God. Hold your finger in Ephesians 5 and go back to Genesis chapter 1. And this is a, really a foundational passage for us that we need to have very uh, plain in our, our minds. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. You may have heard of the Latin phrase, amago Dei. That is the image of God. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl is an image bearer. We have been, we have been stamped with the very image of a holy God. With that background, knowing that men and women are not only image bearers, but also equal... And men, I want to talk to you just for a moment. Sometimes men, because they read in Ephesians 5.22 to 24 that the wife is called to submit to your authority, they do something like this. They think they're higher than the wife. If you have that in your framework, men, would you just take out a mental eraser and erase it, right? You're not more important than your wife. You're not, and I can certainly say this, most men aren't smarter than their wives, right? We all know that, right? Is... Bring it down like this and realize that men and women are not only image bearers, but they're equal in the sight of God. Add children to that as well. We are image bearers and we are equal. Number two, masculine and feminine roles are ordained by God as part of the created order. 
Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Hopefully you're still there. Genesis chapter 2 and begin in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I'm waiting for some man to say something. One more time. It is not good for the man to be alone. Amen Amen to that, right? Can you imagine? It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Move ahead to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into the woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is my translation. Wow. Sorry. This is the last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. You see, the biblical background of submission is vitally important to understand, to realize that we're stamped with the image of God, that we're equal before God, men, women, boys and girls. But there are also very distinct roles that both men and women play in God's kingdom. Now, move forward to a definition, a very basic definition. The word in the Greek text, which is translated either to submit or be subject to, or submissive, depending on your translation, comes from a a little Greek word that I want to give you this morning. It's the the Greek word uh, hupatasso. Hupatasso. We all have become Greek experts in one second, right? Hupatasso is actually a compound word. Now, a compound word is just a fancy way of saying that we have two Greek words that are smashed together, right? And let me show you what happens. The first part of hupatasso is, is hupa, and it is translated as under. The second part of hupatasso is, is, a word, is the word tasso, obviously. It means to place or to set or to arrange or to appoint. And so the Greek word hupatasso means to stand under, to arrange under. It literally means to bring something or someone under control. Here's a definition I like a great deal. It means to be willing or inclined to submit to the wishes of another. Here's what's fascinating. is Scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ submitted, and I would argue from all eternity and to all eternity, to God the Father. One passage in Luke chapter 2, verse 51 You know this well. Jesus went with them, that is his parents, and he came to Nazareth and he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So we see the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He is said to have submitted to his mom and his dad. We also see throughout the Gospels, Jesus submitting to the will of the Father. This is the biblical meaning of submission. To be willing or inclined to submit to the wishes of another. Secondly, I want you to see the biblical basis now of submission. Whenever you discover the biblical basis for something, we 
are automatically required to respond in a particular way as a Christ follower. Let me just uh, run a test with you. If the Bible says that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, what are we called to do with that? Believe it, right? When the Bible says that there is, a, there is a, a, an eternal resting place, that there is a, a place where all of God's elect will spend for all of eternity, if, if they have placed personal faith in Christ, what are we to do with that reality? We're to believe it, right? If the Bible says, which it does, that there is a place of torments, and it's in the plural, there's a place of torments called hell that every unrepentant person goes to. That every person who has scorned the free offer of the gospel, they will go to hell for all eternity and be tormented, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that's more difficult to embrace than heaven, isn't it? But what are we as Christ followers to do with that reality? We are to believe it, right? When the Bible says in Romans 13, obey the governing authorities or submit to those who are over you in the government, what are we called to do? Obey it. We may not like it, but we are called, unless something runs counter to the Word of God, we are called to obey the governing authorities. So as followers of Jesus, we, we don't cave into the culture, do we? When, when the culture disagrees with Scripture, what do we do? We obey Scripture. When the culture tells us that's not cool, what do we do? We obey Jesus. We do not capitulate to the spirit of the age. We learned that last week. We refuse to, to kowtow to contemporary expectations. Our allegiance is to God and His Word. Amen? That is, if you hold to the authority of Scripture, it, it binds your conscience. It, it guides your steps. It informs and instructs all of your attitudes and actions. Just a, an advertisement. In September, we will have a new series of Veritas classes. And I, I'm going to teach a class that I've actually been waiting six years. We've been here six and a half years. I've been waiting six years to spring this one on you. It's a class on the doctrine of salvation. And the reason I've waited so long, and I'll just speak very candidly, there are some at Christ Fellowship who six years ago were, were not ready to t hear anything in this class. But I, I believe that we're ready now. And the way we're going to start the class is the same way that we started the sermon. Is If the Bible says it, what are we called to do with that? We believe it. We cherish it. It may be difficult to digest, but we embrace it. If the Bible says that God has elected some and passed over others, some people may not like that, but what are we called to do? We believe it. We embrace it. We, we rejoice in it. Wayne Grudem says this, The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way, now listen, that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. So, I, I, I'm right at the beginning of, of preaching a message that could cause some trouble for me. I'm right at the beginning of a message that may lead to a few emails or more. I hope not. But when the, when the Word of God is, is on this pulpit, and I, I am called to read the Word of God, 
And then I'm also called to read what I've inscribed on this pulpit from R.C. Sproul that says, You are required to believe, to preach, and to teach what the Bible says is true, not what you want the Bible to say is true. Guess what? That means I'm called to do it. And I'm not only called to do it, but you're called to believe it and embrace it and be joyful about the truth of God's Word. I want to have you look with me just briefly. You don't need to turn in your Bibles, but let me share with you briefly some general passages that point to submission. First in Luke chapter 10, if you want to jot these down and look at them later, you're welcome to. Luke 10, 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So the followers of Christ came and they told Jesus, this is really cool. The demons, they submit to us. Or in Romans 13, which I just mentioned, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. Or how about James 4 verse 7? Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Or 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. Or 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5, in the same way, you younger men, be subject or submit to the elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so, with the authority of Scripture firmly etched onto our hearts and onto our minds, look with me now at four specific passages that I believe help lay the foundation for wives in particular to understand the importance of biblical submission. The first is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. And I think it would be important to look at these together, although briefly. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. While you're turning there, it might interest you to know that there are some people who say there need to be multiple passages to prove a given doctrine. Well, that's not true at all. If you find one verse that, that advances a given doctrine, what do we call that? That's biblical, right? But in my mind, when you see passage after passage saying the same thing, wow, it, it is compelling. And that's why I want to show this to you. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Then move over with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Just so there's, there's no confusion, there's no ambiguity in any way, shape, or form. 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise. By the way, could I say, while you're moving there, that when I say amen today, and we go and we celebrate with, with Lenny and Jan, it, this is my framework. My framework is the women in particular, and also the men, and also the kids, are going to be really encouraged. Right? If, if, if you leave this morning bent out of shape or upset, so, something is awry, right? Um, my goal is that you would leave so filled with joy that you would be instructed because you spent time in the Word of God. You'd be blown away by the truth of the Word. So with that in mind, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives... Here it is again, translated different, but it's the same notion of submission. It's the same Greek word, hupotasso. Be subject 
to your own husband, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And then in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, we read about training the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And then you're probably already there, but if you go back to Ephesians chapter 5, here is the passage that we will spend the remainder of our time on. Once again, wives, submit to your, your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The third thing I want you to see with me is the bottom line of submission. I hope you'll appreciate this section because if you're like me, you like to know, Pastor, give it to me straight. What is this all about? I understand hupatasso, I understand submission, but what's the bottom line? I want to share with you four very important principles that I hope will help seal the deal for you. Number one, please understand that biblical submission is a reflection of the Trinity. This might be a new one for some of you. Biblical submission is a reflection of the Trinity. You see, the Trinity provides a model for interpersonal relationships. The Trinity helps us to see how men and women are equal in personhood, dignity, and importance, just like we've already discovered. The Trinity, moreover, provides us with a framework for authority. That is, the, the, the Spirit submits to the Son, and the Son submits to the Father. We see that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are co-equal and co-eternal from all eternity to all eternity, right? There, there is no difference in, in degree or personhood between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They are equal. The Father is not greater than the Son or greater than the Spirit. They are equal. Yet, we see this model for interpersonal relationships as the Son always joyfully submits to the will of the Father. That should be encouraging for both husbands and wives to use that as our ultimate model and example. Number two, please see with me that biblical submission is a reflection not only of the Trinity, but is also a reflection of God's divine order. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. I wish we had more time to unpack this, but it says this, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And we need to stop there. The head of every man is Christ. So if you're a young man or a single man or a husband, remember, and I say this not irreverently, but to make a point, you have a boss. The name of your boss is God. God is your head. The head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. What's fascinating about that scripture is built into the framework of uh, a relationship between a man and a woman. We also see that Jesus Christ is under the authority, once again, of the Father. And so a wife respects her husband or submits to her husband as the son honors 
the Father, or as the Son submits to the Father. A husband delights in his wife as the Father now delights in the Son. And I hope you see this not as as hard to embrace, but as something that is, is so beautiful because it finds its, its origin in God. Number three, this is where it could get tricky. Biblical submission now allows for effective leadership. Biblical submission allows for effective leadership. Some of you may remember a pastor by the name of Ray Stedman. He pastored Peninsula Bible Church in the Bay Area years and years ago. He is one of the first pastors that I really began to study his books and and listen to him and, and read what he was setting in print. And here's what Ray Stedman says. He says, if it is the man's responsibility... By virtue of the provision God has built into the male nature to be that leader, then the wife cannot also be the leader. There can only be one. Now, that does not say that a a woman does not have leadership ability. It doesn't say that in any way, shape, or form. But it does say in a marriage relationship, there's one leader. What's the name of that leader? The husband. That, That is so unpopular. That is so countercultural to say publicly that the husband is the leader of the wife. Ray Stedman continues It is only as the wife is willing to permit and even encourage her husband to lead, listen, women, that he is able to fulfill his manhood. That really struck me. But Stedman goes on, if a wife destroys her husband's leadership, she destroys something of his manhood and thereby diminishes her own love for him. So to the married women, do you want your husband to be a bold, biblical, godly leader? The Word of God says, submit to his authority, and he grows as you are willing to submit to him. Wives, when you take your husband's leadership role that is rightly his, I wrote this down and I thought about it and it just it just rings so true. Wives, when you when you take away the authority, the leadership that is rightly belonging to your husband, you make him less of a man. Now, if you're a wife here this morning and are married to a passive husband who just is not naturally inclined that direction, you're probably saying to yourself, yeah, he's less of a man. But it's time, I believe, at Christ Fellowship to move in this direction where the wives at Christ Fellowship say, I want to do what the Bible says. And I want to encourage my husband. I want to strengthen my husband. I want to share an illustration that's a very personal illustration for me. And my wife, Jereen, is here. I didn't tell her I was going to share this illustration. But before we moved to LaGrande, we were talking very seriously to a church in Tucson. Now, those of you, I don't know if Tim's here. If Tim were here, he'd go, oh, yeah, I know why Dave wants to go to Tucson. I mean, there are over 100 golf courses in the greater Tucson area. So when we started talking uh, to this church in Tucson, one of the questions was, would you be willing to play golf as an extension of your ministry? I was like, wow, let me pray about it. Yes? Wow! And it was a really cool church. They love theology. They love people. They love to outreach in the community. It was like, I still, it's been almost 20 years ago. I still remember, I mean, the, the hair on my arm stand up. I wanted to go to this church so bad. 
Well, we were also talking to Wayne Pickens in LaGrande, side by side. And I told Wayne about this church in Tucson, and, and Wayne said, Man, that, that sounds like a great opportunity. What I'm going to ask you to do is to focus on one church at a time. If you want to focus on Tucson, that's great. We'll kind of, we'll kind of hold the boat for you while you're talking to them, and you can discern the will of the Lord, or you can focus on First Baptist and LaGrande. Now, please remember this sermon is, Wives, submit to your husbands. We got that so far, right? Where do I want to go in this story? We're going south. We're going to Tucson. I'm going to play some golf, right? <laughs> and pastor. <laughs> I think I reversed the order there. <laughs> so Doreen and I sit down. And she doesn't have any peace about this church in Tucson. And there's one reason for it. It had nothing to do with the climate. It had nothing to do with the, the, the golfing thing that I was into. There was only one reason. What they were wanting me to do was to join the current senior pastor and to be the co-senior pastor with him. And I have to be honest, in my lack of wisdom, I was like, man, that's cool. He's a cool guy. I've got to know him. He's kind of my friend now. Let's bring it, man. We're going to be the co-senior pastors. We're going to golf together. We're going to shepherd together. Reverse the order again. Sorry. And as I talked to Doreen, she's just like, I don't have any peace about this. And here's the reason why. A co-senior pastor position will never work. Why is that? Because you need one leader. Now here at Christ Fellowship, uh, I would be considered the first among equals at the elder council, but I, my, my decisions, my opinions have no more weight than, than Ken Olsom or Tom Juckmas or Jason Scheib or any of the other elders. We, we are equal, just like a man and a woman are equal, right? And so what I did in that scenario is I gulped hard and I prayed fervently and I was disappointed. But I listened to the godly counsel of my wife. You see, what I want to do in this story is share with you that biblical submission doesn't mean that the ma- it's the man's way or the highway. That's not biblical submission. Because in this example, while Doreen became God's wisdom for me, guess who had to make the final decision? I had to make the final decision. And I'll tell one more part of the story just so you'll laugh. So instead of going to Tucson, this metropolis of this golfing wonderland, we went to LaGrande. There was one private course that I played at twice. There's a public course that I don't like very much. <laughs> right? So we pulled into LaGrande, 12,000 people. Same, same size as Linden, but not nearly as cool as Linden. There's nothing to do there. We pulled into the town. Dreen's laughing because she knows what I'm going to say. She says, oh, honey, did we make the right decision? I was like, wait a minute. What a rip, right? It was the greatest decision we ever made, wasn't it, Dreen? It's where we established great friendships and, and built this friendship with, with Pastor Wayne. And it was, it was a wonderful season in our lives. Why do I tell this story? Because in a marriage, there's only one leader. And the Bible says that that leader is the husband. Number four, notice with me that biblical submission is ultimately Godward. It's ultimately Godward. Wives, verse 22 says, submit to your own husbands. How? And and if you struggle, if a woman struggles with biblical submission, just read this verse and all your struggles should go away. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So when a wife submits to her leadership, the leadership of her husband, she does it as unto the Lord. 
One commentator says, The godly wife sees this duty, that is biblical submission, as part of her Christian discipleship. The motive is not to fulfill some societal role or cultural expectation. The motive is is love for Christ and a desire to be conformed to His image. And so to the wives at Christ Fellowship today, when you submit to the leadership of your husband, God is greatly honored and glorified. Why? The husband is the head of the wife, as verse 23 says, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Simply put, a wife who refuses to submit to her husband is like a local church who says, we don't want to obey you, God. And so Paul makes a point here that's impossible to miss. We all know the importance of a church who submits to the Lord Jesus Christ. This then becomes a vivid illustration of how a wife is called to respond to her husband's authority. Number four, the barriers to biblical submission. There are three that I want to focus on just briefly. The first is confusion. I found over the years that there are some women who say, I just, I can't submit to my husband, but there's confusion there. Some people think that submission means obeying even in the case of abuse. Can I say this? Wives, if your husband is abusing you, he has, he has not earned the right for you to, to, to follow his leadership in that sense. Is If your husband is calling you to do something that's opposed to Scripture, the Scripture says, obey God rather than man. Some people think submission renders a person without an opinion. I've, I've heard this a lot. It's, it's my way or the highway, so says the husband. But that's not the case at all. Husbands and wives need to talk candidly with one another. I can think of many, many times outside of the Tucson illustration where my wife has changed my opinion about something that was a deeply held belief that I held. But we talk about it, we talk about it, we dialogue, and she convinces me. But I have to make the final decision. Some people think that submission renders a woman powerless. The truth is that biblical submission actually empowers a woman as she finds strength in obeying this command. I've already alluded to this, but some people think that submission is this top-down chain of authority where the husband orders the wife around. It's something like this. Hey, woman, bring me some pretzels. No, 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 no. Guys, that's not biblical submission. That's just called, in the Greek, being a jerk. Right? As we will see next week, the husband's role is not to have this top-down authority. Rather, we're going to see that the husband's role is to joyfully serve his wife and sacrifice for her. There's a second barrier, very briefly, and that is one that I've already mentioned. It's the barrier of culture. Contemporary culture is, is whispering all the time. I see it on the talk shows. You read in magazines. You read in books. You see the, the talking circuit. The culture is telling women, you don't have to obey God. They're not quite that blatant, but I do hear you don't need to submit to your husband. You don't need to listen to him. Finally, there's a barrier that I want to draw your attention to. It's the barrier of the curse. And I wish we had much more time to deal with this. But I want to have you turn to Genesis chapter 3 and show you something that I think you'll find fascinating. While you're turning to Genesis 3, remember that the fall, that is the fall of man, introduced distortions into the relationship between a man and a woman. 
That is, the fall of man introduced distortions between a husband and a wife. And I wish we could read the whole section here. You can do it on your own, starting in Genesis 3, verse 1. But begin in verse 14 with me. This is post-fall. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That is the promise of the gospel. This may be one of the most important single verses in the whole Old Testament. Verse 16. Now to the woman, to Eve, God said... Remember, this is the curse. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. That's an aspect of the curse that most, probably all women, they understand. If you've had a child, you're like, okay, I I got that one down. I understand the curse. It hurt, right? But there's another aspect that is less known. Continue on in verse 16. Your desires shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, there are two extremes that were introduced as a result of the curse, and I want to show this on the board for you. The first aspect of the curse affects the woman. The first aspect of the curse is what you would call usurping. Usurping. And usurping is a fancy word for, I'm going to take away the leadership that is rightly belonging to my husband. That's how the woman is cursed. She has this propensity to usurp the leadership of her husband. But let's look at the men. How have the men... The men have received kind of a double curse. I guess it's double for women too, right? Pain and childbearing and usurping. But for men, what men struggle with is dominance or docility. You say, what in the world is that all about? Some of you are aware of men who struggle with just being a tyrant. There are tyrant leaders. Woman, get me some pretzels, right? That's a, that's a domineering husband. It's my way or the highway. But here's what I've discovered over the past several years, maybe the last 20 years. I have not met a lot of men who struggle with being a dominating man, but I have met hundreds of men who struggle with docility. Or being passive. It's because of your temperament. It's because of your makeup. You're just, you're an introvert and you tend to be more docile. And so what we have, if, if we can put this recipe together, when you have a woman who usurps the authority of her husband and a man who is passive, you know what that equals? An appointment with the pastor. That's what that equals, right? That is, and some of you, you, you like you've lived it. Some of you have lived it Maybe most of the years of your marriage where the woman's usurping, the man is docile, he's passive, and you have this constant friction. One writer calls that friction the crazy cycle. I want you to see it. The crazy cycle looks like this. The woman usurps the authority of the man. The man is either dominating or docile. The woman usurps the authority of the man. The man is either dominating or docile. You see, it goes round and round and round, and that leads... To divorce. That leads a man and a woman to get a divorce. There's one way out of the crazy cycle. Ultimately, it's the gospel, right? It's obeying God. But the more mature spouse needs to obey God. 
You say, what does that look like? Well, for the woman, it means you stop usurping the authority of your husband. And here's what I've heard, and Drina and I have heard it in tons of, of counseling meetings with women who are married to either a docile man or a jerk, right? They say, he, ha- he, doesn't, he hasn't earned the right for me to submit to his authority. And I've said it a hundred times. Obey God. Be the more mature spouse. Obey God. Stop usurping his authority. And then something amazing happens. It's, it's, it's miraculous. When you obey God, things begin to fall into shape, right? Or it's the same with a man. If a man struggles with being a dominating leader or, or a, a passive husband, I've said to many of these men, stop doing that. Obey God. Lead your wife. Sacrifice for your wife. Serve your wife. Love your wife. And guess what happens? All of a sudden, the wife begins to be submissive to his authority, and they have this harmonious relationship. Very quickly, would you look at Genesis chapter 3, and I know we're out of time. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. I want you to see briefly the same Hebrew word in verse 7 as we've seen in Genesis 3.16. It'll help you. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. This is addressed to Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Would you say that's a good thing or a bad thing? That's really bad. Now go back to Genesis 3.16. Your desire shall be for your husband. One writer says, just as sin's desire is to have its way with Cain, God gives the woman up to a desire to have her way with her husband. Translation, usurp his rightful authority. The ultimate solution is husbands need to lead well, wives need to follow the leadership of their husbands. Finally, would you look just very briefly with me at the beauty of submission? We don't have time to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6. You'll see it on the board. But I do want to read one citation from Kent Hughes. He says, what the scripture is telling us here is the disposition to yield and happy submission to recognize and honor the husband's great responsibility to lead the home. When the husband is giving godly leadership, strong, moral, lovingly leading his family, the woman, the wife, will be elevated and enriched by her submission. Let me give you some closing application points and we will conclude. What about wives who are married to men who either refuse to pick up the leadership mantle, they're passive, or they dominate? Just a couple of things to encourage the wives. Number one, and first and most importantly, purpose in your heart to obey the word of God. Number two, be be patient with your domineering or docile husband. Number three, Choose to walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16 says. Number four, uh, pray for strength. Pray for God to give you wisdom and strength. And number five, demonstrate by your actions that you love it when He leads. One of my favorite things to do is to watch a couple. And when you watch the woman look at her husband like, I'm so proud of him. Have you ever seen that? It's a wonderful thing. That's a woman who is proud to have her husband lead. Finally, in order to break the crazy cycle, as I've already said, the most mature spouse needs to step in and stop that cycle. And so, may wives joyfully submit to the leadership of their husbands. 
May husbands exercise godly leadership by loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And that is where we turn our attention to next week in the book of Ephesians. Let's pray. Father, there's so many challenges packed into these very few verses. I, I pray for, for wives in particular today that they would leave uh, emboldened and encouraged. God, I pray that you strengthen them to, to be the kind of wife that you want them to be, knowing that it is only through the power of the gospel that they'll have the ability or the, or the inclination to obey this very countercultural command. And as they do that, God, would they find great blessing? Would you strengthen them? Would you bring blessing into their life, into their marriage? And I pray to you for husbands, even as we come back next week and learn what the role of a a husband ought to be. And Lord, it's a challenging proposition that's set before us. So I pray that you'd prepare the hearts of the men who come and that you would encourage them as well. Lord, uh, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the time of worship. We look forward to the celebration to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.